You're listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast with your hosts, Attorney Dan Mayer and Licensed Counselor Melissa Westner. Dan is not your attorney and Melissa is not your therapist, but they're here to help you cross your T's and dot your I's as they talk about all the things you wish you had learned in grad school. And now, here are your hosts. Hi there and welcome back. Today, Dan and I are super excited to be talking with Christy Pennison because she has had a lot of very interesting experiences as a practice owner. Not all ones that she wished she had, uh, but we're going to get into that a little bit later. But before we do, here is a little bit of information about Christy. She is a board-certified counselor and founder of Be Inspired Counseling and Consulting in Alexandria, Louisiana. She has coached and advised dozens of mental health professionals and business owners from across the country to help them grow through the many challenges they face. Due to her knowledge and leadership, she is highly recognized by other professionals in her field. As a result, she was awarded the 20 under 40 Acadiana. Am I saying that right, Christine? Yeah, you got it right, Acadiana. Okay, Okay. Acadiana Leadership Award. In addition, she has been a guest on the Montel Williams podcast, Free Thinking, and her expertise has been regularly featured in articles on NBC, Today, and many other media outlets and publications. She is passionate about empowering mental health professionals to jump into the unknown, to expand their life and business with confidence and clarity. And all of that sounds very fitting based on what I know you're going to be talking about today. So we want to welcome you today and just know that we look forward to hearing what you're going to be talking about. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited to have you on as well. Um, you know, as Melissa said, uh, kind of, I don't want to tip our hands, um, but you've got a number of things you're going to talk about today. Um, and for me, it's exciting to have you on because, you know, we are doing this, uh, this new kind of format this year where we're having practitioners on come on and talk about their, you know, practice and challenges and obstacles they're facing. Um, and I'm sure that what we're going to talk about today are things that come up for other practitioners throughout the country. Um, and it'll be interesting to hear, you know, for them, and, and I'm interested to hear, you know, how you overcome some of these things. So um, with that, let's get started. Yes. So Christy, some of the big lessons that you've learned as a practice owner are ways to pivot your practice through multiple unexpected challenges. And in your case, you have been through not one, not two, but three natural disasters, and also I understand that you have been undergoing some exterior renovations at your office currently that have been taking longer than anticipated. So I'm wondering if you could just start us off by telling us about all of that. Yeah, and I'm really excited to share some of this because you don't know what you don't know until you've had it happen. And I think one of the things about private practices that I have learned is when you get into it, you don't expect anything or at least I didn't, maybe I was like naive in this. I, you don't expect some of the challenges that you face, especially some of the ones that we're about to talk about. And so hopefully by me sharing this, it can help prepare other practice owners to be prepared to protect their practice. So when they go through this, it won't be as unsettling as it was for me. But I moved back to my hometown of Alexandria, Louisiana in 2019 with the vision to start a private practice that was really going to impact and serve my community. 
And I remember I found this great location that had super cheap rent. <laughs> and it was a great place for me to get started since I was going to start off as a solo um, practitioner with the vision to grow into a group practice. And things were going pretty well along. But then, as you all know, this happened in September 19 when I opened the doors. By February, March 2020, we had the pandemic happen, which nobody could have prepared for, right? Nobody saw that coming, which really created some challenges in the practice because I was just starting out. How do we pivot this? What do we do next? And then later that year, and I can't remember the specific month, but it was after the summer, we had the first hurricane that came through Hurricane Laura. And she was very devastating to a lot of the Southwest portion of the state. So actually there was a lot of devastation there, but it provided, it caused some minimal damage to the space that we were in that just got worse over time. And so it created, we had what I remember walking in the office that day, there were water spots all over the ceiling, you know, <laughs> like we were without electricity for a whole week. Um, so you can imagine how you have to pivot practice then. I mean, practice just got shut down because people didn't have, you know, electricity in their personal homes. Um, there were you can't even do teletherapy. <laughs> yeah, you cannot do teletherapy. So teletherapy <laughs> is out, right? I mean, people were lining up for gas. I remember like it was, it was really crazy. And like I said, for us, I feel very fortunate because we didn't even get it as bad as the Southern part of the state did, but it just put everything on a standstill for about almost two weeks that I think was about a week that I might've gotten um, power back to my personal residence that actually the practice got electricity back a little bit sooner, but you can think about it. If your clients, are trying to figure out like they may have trees in their home. They may have, you know, roof issues, damage. The first thing they're not thinking about is, oh, I can't wait to come back to therapy. Now they probably really need therapy at that point, right? Because they're overwhelmed, they're stressed out, but that's not the first thing in their mind. And so for us, the practice took some damage um, that I thought was going to be easy to remit, you know, remedy. It wasn't super crazy. It was like water damage. Um, but what I didn't know was that that hurricane actually caused more damage than we thought that by the time the second hurricane through, came through a few months later, um, it even caused like water came in through, um, there were tiles that were on the floor cause it came through. Mm -hmm. We thought we fixed that by the property owner coming in and fixing that. But to be honest, it was even three or four months later where I had to write a letter to the landowner because stuff wouldn't smell right. Every time the weather would change, there would be this weird smell in the office. And right before our last natural disaster that really pushed us out of the office, they had had a restoration come out and said, yeah, there's moisture in the walls. Okay. So what, what had happened was that there was this damage that on the inside, it looked like maybe easy fixes. We're going to replace some ceiling tiles. We're going to do some things. But the truth was that we found out right before the third natural disaster happened that there really was some major issues that had been caused that had not been resolved. Yeah. And so then the third thing that happened in February of 2020, um, no, 2021, sorry, um, was that we had this really weird winter storm. And down in Louisiana, we're not used to snow, ice, <laughs> all of those things. Like, you know, those Northern practices, they got this covered, right? But we are not. And what happened in that disaster was that everything kind of froze over. And so again, for a week, things stood still. 
some people didn't have power. Some people lost power because generators freeze up, lines break. And then, so we were able to do some telehealth, but I remember going back to the office on a Friday because we had some sessions that Friday afternoon when the roads were finally, you know, able to be traveled. This is like three or four days later. And I remember walking up to the practice and there was water coming out of the front door. I was like, okay, what is this? And I remember I opened the door and I realized there was water all over the ground. Um, And actually, again, it wasn't as bad as it could have been because my sweet, the neighbor that was next to the left of us, she, it was terrible, but there was water and I'm thinking, okay, shot back, maybe something we can call somebody to come get this up. Right. But then the more I called the neighbor and said, Hey, there's water coming out your front door too. And then the suite next to you, there's water coming out the front door there as well. And then when we looked at the amount of damage in the two office spaces that were to the left of me, I realized then real quick in a hurry that this space, we were already having issues with it, but we had to go and we had to go like then. (laughs) So then you had to pack up your, then we packed up the office within probably eight hours, which was crazy. Canceled appointments for that evening. Um, But it really did do a lot of, things where you had to really figure out how to pivot and, and make changes really quick. Now, I have a quick question for you. Just done. So you um, left the space. Did you have to sign a new lease right, like right away then for a new space? Yeah. I mean, well, luckily there was a few things that happened. Number one, we were actually out of our lease at that point at the place. Now, of course they, they honestly, it took them a year to renovate that space after we've moved out of it. So it's wow. a year later now since that's happened and they're just now renting out that space. So that tells you the extent of damage that really happened. But there were three suites in a row, one left, one in the middle, and we were on the right space. And the, the one on the left was not occupied, which is why whenever the winter store came through, pipes burst. Oh, and then yeah. eventually over a course of a several days, the water trickled over into our space. And so we first didn't know where we were going to go. And I had to call up my realtor, who's helped me navigate some of this and ask her like, where do we go next? We need, we need this many offices. We don't want to go too far from where we're at. Is there anything available? But really we had to switch over to telehealth until we were able to find that. And all of the office furniture went into this big, um, I guess call U-Haul, but it was like a, a covered trailer where everything lived. And then it moved into my living room, which I still don't know how that all fit. Until we were able to find our next space. Those are the joys of business ownership that nobody sees, right? Pile of furniture in your living room. Yes. Do you realize that one day you might have your whole office space in your living room and you may have to pack up your office? You know, you think about the amount of time it takes to decorate an office and you would be surprised how quick it could take you to really pack all that stuff up in a hurry if you know that this furniture. And one of the concerns was the furniture sitting already. They had already been sitting in this like, colder weather like what is this moisture going to do to the furniture if it gets longer yeah I get it I have some of my office in my garage right now since we gave up our office during the pandemic I really get it yeah um nobody thinks about those things so I'm wondering though you know like you said sometimes we don't know some of these things until we're forced you know to get through a situation and I'm wondering what are some of the things that you've learned about navigating natural disasters as a business owner, having gone through this so many times? Yeah, well, I think number one, you have to 
go ahead and build relationships early with the people that can help you if you need to navigate these situations. So I had an amazing relationship with my realtor who she was able to like, and she, and she cared about me and the practice. So that's why I say even having a really good relationship, she knew that this was a dream because she helped me find my house when I moved back home to start this practice. And she saw what it became. So she was invested in me, invested in the practice. So she like spent countless hours combing through things, just trying to find what are some possibilities, negotiating on my behalf. Um, So I think that relationship was really helpful in helping me pivot that. Um, The second thing is obviously having a good relationship with whoever is ensuring your general liability, because they're going to have to help you figure out how to navigate filing a claim, what, what is in your policy. So knowing what your policy actually includes is super important. And then also like we were talking about, I was out of a lease, but knowing what your lease agreement really says. So that way, if you have to navigate out of that, what are your rights as a leasee? Um, and what, what does, what are the responsibilities of the leaseholder, like the leaser, what is their responsibilities to you in the event that something like this happens? Um, I think is really important. And then who else? Oh, and then just having great family and friend supports because there was somebody who had a covered trailer that we were able to get really quickly over there. And you have to call up anybody that you know to help you move all this stuff. So I remember me and my mom ran to Home Depot and we're getting boxes, right? So having also supports that are also invested in your vision and your practice can really be helpful in navigating a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. Now, when you were talking and sharing about all of those instances, I'm thinking about loss of income to your practice. I'm thinking about staff who might be struggling because they're not working and um, that might influence their own income. I'm thinking about damage to furniture in your office. And I'm wondering what resources or supports were available to you to help um, navigate some of those things. Yeah, fortunately, I think one of the things that we did um, and this that we learned from this is always have a telehealth consent signed from the time somebody enters um, therapy, because in our state, we do need consent for telehealth and we have a separate consent form for that. Um, But that was very helpful because our clients were realizing that, hey, and that was another thing. Our clients really came to that for us, too, because they were like, wait, my child needs therapy. I'm going to see if I can find you somebody who's willing to temporarily lend you a space for just a few sessions. And that did happen um, for the younger kids, but that really needed that face-to-face interaction that telehealth really wasn't appropriate for. So we learned in that always have a telehealth consent sign from the beginning and let them know that because in our, in our area, a lot of people still love to come to in-person services. Um, we had telehealth when the pandemic hit, but now everybody prefers coming in person. We have a few people that utilize telehealth, but it's not something that's widely accessed by the clients that we serve. However, having that in place allows you to be able to say, hey, let's switch this over. So for our for the staff that I had, luckily I had a small group at the time. It wasn't I didn't have a lot of responsibility of a lot of clinicians. So it was myself and two other clinicians at that time. And we had a third clinician that was going to be onboarding but she was able to put her onboarding on pause until we were able to get to that next phase, which was really something that was helpful. But communication with clients was very important. We got the therapist to 
utilize those relationships that they had with their clients to communicate to them, hey, this is what's happening. We don't know. We cannot tell you when we're going to be in the next phase. We're hoping to do this really quickly, but here's the option to continue therapy at this time. We had some clients that were like, no, we'll wait until you get into a new space. But the majority of them were like really understanding. And so luckily there wasn't a huge gap, but it did cause an issue in our business where we were really starting to see a steady growth. And then of course, as you can imagine, our, our revenue kind of plummeted a little bit and the space that, cause I told you at the beginning, we found a space that was super cheap rent, right? So our next space was three times the amount mm. of where we were going. And, but the benefit was it was twice the space. And I knew at some point that year we were going to outgrow the space we were in anyways. So that was a big leap of faith for me. I'm like, okay, so now not only do we have to furnish this new space because it's double the size. Luckily, we didn't lose a lot of furniture in the flooding because we were on the outer suite. So there was only like one or two pieces of furniture that were really damaged by it um, because our therapy rooms were on the outer line, outer side of the office. So they actually, the water never got into those spaces, which was a miracle in itself. So we didn't lose a lot of furniture, but we still had to furnish the space. We still had to put all the deposits down for a new space. So I would say another thing is making sure, you know, they say emergency fund in your personal life, right? You need to have an emergency fund for your business where you do have three to six months of expenses saved. And we were still a relatively new practice. We had only been in practice for a year and four months, only group practice, like maybe four of those months, right? So, but still having some um, account that had some money in it that we could utilize also saved me from like losing my sanity in that process. <laughs> wow. I was going to say it's interesting because your experience, um, I think highlights a very important point. You mentioned it. Um, and that is the general liability insurance part of it. And oftentimes, you know, just myself as an attorney working with mental health practitioners, the question comes up, well, what type of insurance should I have? Do I really need to have general liability insurance? I have malpractice. You know, what's the, what's the likelihood of something happening? And, you know, as you can attest, that's why you have general liability insurance, because in that case, had you not had it, it would have been disastrous. Um, and that's really the, one of the benefits of having your direct insurance coverage in place practice have. The other thing I, I heard when you know you were speaking was um, you highlight another point point I think that is true of effective um, and great practice owners, and that is that owning a practice means that you sometimes have to be able to pivot and pivot quickly and figure out a plan um, when you don't have one or weren't expecting to have one um, about how to move forward and keep the wheels going. Um, and, you know, based on just what you were saying, it sounds like that's exactly what you did. Um, and that is just a hallmark of being a leader, of, of being an owner of a business, is that sometimes you're going to have to make these decisions on the fly and, and come up with a plan, you know, that you weren't anticipating having to do. Uh, and I think that's really impressive. But I think that's a, a, something that a lot of people don't realize when you start a business, start a mental health practice, that that ability either you learn it or you know or you 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 have the ability to do it or you learn how to do it right um it, 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 it it's going to come up at some point in your practice at least once where you're going to have to have that skill you're going to draw on those skills yeah you have to jump in and i mean don't get me wrong right now i'm reflecting on it it sounds like oh that wasn't that stressful right like <laughs> but at the time it really was and i think there goes back to like you said um having 
that insurance is there for a reason. And it did actually help us since we didn't have much furniture loss, although it would have covered any of that furniture loss that we had, it really covered more of the loss of income during that period of time. And by the time that that the insurance did give us, you know, some money for that income loss, it helped kind of um, put some more revenue back into the business when it was needed. And so I think there's a lot of stuff you don't know until you have to learn it, but just being able to learn it and then having, again, those supports in place that you can call that are like, they already know practice ownership is hard. And they're like, man, yeah, Christy, that's rough. You know, what do you need for me? <laughs> really went a long way in helping, helping get through that period of time. And luckily we were able to move into a new space within a matter of out of a month. Um, and so that was really helpful that it only took about a month before we were able to move in. And because the space that was available, it wasn't ready. So they needed to renovate the inside of it. And so then we were able to move into that space once the inside was fully renovated. And, and it was kind of fun in that part, like decorating new office, but it does come with expenses that again, you need to be prepared for in the event that this may come up because you never know. I mean, there's all kinds of different things that could happen to your building or, or that your, that your practice is housed in that you may not foresee and being prepared to, for the eventuality of that, not that you want to think about it and be like, Oh, I hope this doesn't happen, but you need to be prepared for the event that it does happen and, and knowing who to call and who to ask questions to, because you're not going to know everything. I think it's really important. Yeah. Now I'm going to have some questions about your new space in a little bit, but before we jump over there, um, I'm wondering if having gone through three different natural disasters has informed things that you do at your office with staff, right? Like I'm thinking about a lot of times as mental health practitioners, we think about crises with clients and what are we going to do when there's a crisis with clients or staff safety when things come up, what do staff members do? But growing up, if you're in elementary school, high school, college, you've been exposed to fire drills and other drills for natural disasters that I don't know. I don't know if we think about that as frequently as practice owners. And I'm wondering if these experiences have informed any preparation that you do at your office or any drills that you do to prepare staff. I'm wondering if that's changed anything for you. Yeah, you know what? Ironically, it really hasn't changed too much. And I don't know if it, it should have, if that makes sense. But I do think one of the things that it's really helped the practice do is be able to have those consistent lines of communication to be able to say, hey, at any point in time, this is in these situations, we'll be reaching out. And I think one of the things that I'm very fortunate about is, you know, now we have a pretty pretty great team. And so just being able to realize that everybody has a responsibility that if something does happen, that we are going to pull together to figure out a solution to it. And I think that has really gone a long way. And I think just remembering keeping our clients at the forefront of how can we best serve them. So even if they're going through something, how can we, if it is a, a disaster that impacts our whole community, how do we be human beings first? Mm -hmm. And then therapist second, I think is really important. I question for you, um, you know, one of the things, you know, because of the where you live, because of Louisiana, because of the area of the country you live in, the likelihood of another hurricane coming is at least there's a possibility, right? It's um, very possible, yes. You know, 
in terms of uh, being ready for next time, um, you know, not just with regards to staff, but you know, are you implementing things with clients? You know, you know, have you implemented new procedures when it comes to inclement weather policies? Are you, you know, have you looked at anything? And I'm just asking to see, you know, what what's useful, what you've looked into or not. Um, have you had a conversation with your um, insurance and that type of thing so that next time you're prepared, like, okay, now we know this might happen. Here's what we're doing with regards to our insurance. Here's what we're doing with regards to, um, uh, you know, how we're informing clients, how we're going to handle therapy if all of a sudden the space becomes unusable again. Is that something that you're now starting to incorporate in term towards your planning um, and your strategizing? Um, and how has this experience kind of, you know, made you now forward thinking in terms of, planning it for the next time. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it has done a few things. And one of the unique shifts to our practice now that we're about to be going undergoing is we are switching from where in the past, uh, you know, the majority of our therapists on our team are contractors. And so now we're switching to more an employee model. Sure. And I think when you in, in switch over to more an employee model type of practice, it does almost you then you really have to think of those things, right? Like, what is our crisis policy? What is our policy? Whereas in, in the past, everybody, you know, uh, functioned a little bit more independently um, versus now as we're going to, what is our um, policy going to be if we have inclement weather? Right now, we do have a policy in place for cancellations and no-shows that in the event that there's really inclement weather, then of course, if there is a way to do telehealth, then we offer that. But if there's not, then we understand the reason of why that client can't come in. But I think as we're moving into this new phase of the business and a new phase of the practice with everybody becoming more of an employee base, we're going to be having a lot of these discussions and creating a lot of these policies that will hopefully help us as we go into the future. But back to your point about general liability policies, I think one of the things that I have done that's been a little bit more intentional is talking with the you know insurance advisor periodically, at least doing a once a year, if not every six months check-in, looking at what coverage we do have, making sure that coverage is sufficient. Or like I said, either there's two ways of looking at it, right? You either need to be really well insured <laughs> with a great policy, or you need to have a really big, large sum of cash somewhere like <laughs> with your insurance policy to help float you through, right? Sure. And so I know that for me as a business owner, especially as we're transitioning into this employee model, it's even more important for me to know numbers, know, because I do put a lot of responsibility in myself. Like you said, not only do we have responsibility to clients, but for the employees that you value and you want to be able to not, um, not be able to pay them in the event that there's something that goes down that it disrupts their income and their livelihood. And so um, we're still putting a lot of those policies in place. But like you said, it, it's I've lived in Louisiana for my whole lifetime. And I can tell you every several years, there is at least one hurricane. The degree of how it impacts our community varies, but you have to be prepared um, for those eventualities. I, I think you, you said something really important. I, I, everything you said is important, but there, you may, there's something particular you said that I think is really important I want to highlight. Um, and that is that the you don't just set something in place and then just leave it, right? I think a lot of practice owners, you know, from what I've seen, and, and it's not, a, you know, negative. It, it, 
you know, they don't, you know, this is not something when you go to school, you learn how to run a business. But a lot of practices will say, okay, I set my, my policy procedure in place. We're good to go. I've got my insurance. We're good to go. In fact, actually, as a business owner, it's an ever-evolving uh, process. It's something that you always probably once a year do want to be rechecking, make sure your coverage is the where you want it to be. You do want to be making sure that the procedures and policies in, in you have in place, both for staff and clients, you know, is continuing to be you know, um, what you want it to be or what's needed by the practice. It's not just a, you put everything in place and then everything goes along and we're good to go. It's a, there's a repeated pattern, even if it's once a year, of going back and checking and reviewing everything and making sure that, you know, that things are as you need them to be so that if something happens, you're prepared. Right. Well, and you learn as you go along, right? right. Like so mm-hmm. things you don't, you don't, you don't realize some of the things you're going to encounter until you encounter them. Right. And so then those opportunities are great turning points, kind of like we've been discussing to say, okay, what do we need to do differently next time to be able to, lessen the impact it has on yeah. the practice on the services we provide and how do we create those things as we go along that maybe just look better every year and as your business grows then the i guess assets you have in the business right or the amount you have it grows so then you need to do different things to protect Correct. it differently than maybe you did when you were a solo practitioner right so i have a lot more different things to think about now than i did when it was just me right because it was just me i could float it and we'll just keep on growing. And, you know, it's not as much of a responsibility, but Mm -hmm. I guess the more the responsibility that grows, the more you have a responsibility to figure out how to protect that practice. And so what advice would you give to other practice owners as it relates to the possibility of natural disasters impacting their practice? What, what advice would you give to them? Yeah, I think, I think the, the thing that I would, say to them is that always be prepared for something unexpected happening. So it's kind of like, do you have a toolbox that you can go to when you need to be able to navigate the unexpected? And that toolbox could have people in it. It could have policies in it. It could have, you know, a rainy day fund in it, whatever it is, but make sure that you at least have your toolbox. Cause I mean, think about it when we, when we have hurricanes, like I said, this, one hurricane, Laura, I mean, she put us out for at least a week or more without power, right? So when you don't have power, you don't realize how much you depend on power, right? And especially when, you know, it's not the best season and as far as like weather, if it's colder or whatever. So you need to think about things through what would I need? Do I need gas in my home, right? And so, or do I need a backup generator or do I need these provisions stored in my pantry? And so I think the same thing as you think you'd prepare yourself for disaster preparedness in your personal life, it is important to have the same type of mindset in your practice and in your business to say, what are the tools that I need that if anything unexpected occurs, I know I can at least pull from these places to help me figure out how to move forward. You know, it's interesting because um, one of the other things you're, you're, you're really getting at is that as a business owner, you have to have a tolerance or at least, um, uh, now if you're not a tolerance, uh, ability to take risks. You know, there is an element of risk that it comes to owning a practice. Um, you know, and, and you can't, you know, it's not always going to be safe. It's not always going to be secure. There's going to be things that get thrown at you that you just have to 
you know, learn how to, to deal with the comedy. So, you know, I guess, you know, as a practitioner now who's gone through three natural disasters, gone through this whole process, you know, what in your, what's your mindset? How do you get in the right mindset as a practice owner to, um, to be in that, so that you're not risk adverse because being risk adverse can honestly stifle or practice can also honestly stifle your growth. So how do you get to that mental place where, you know, there may be risk, but you get comfortable with, being uncomfortable, I guess, sometimes. Yeah, I love that. I love that question because I think you're right. I think it, it does separate you from being, because I mean, with all these things that I've went through, some people would have said, I'm done with practice. Right. Peace out. Like I'll put my furniture, I'll go back to work for somebody else. Right. Like some right. people have said that. So I do think number one, it's that you have to have a clear vision of where you're going. So despite whatever obstacle that comes up, you know, where you're going and why you're going there. So I always think a clear vision and mission are really important for our mindset to keep you going. So for me, I always knew what the vision was. I always knew what the mission was, although it shifted maybe a little bit over the past two and a half years that I've been in practice, it's still been pretty much the same. So I think that's really important. And then I think the second thing is important is you have to believe in yourself. And I know that sounds like real woo woo and everything, but you have to believe that you may not know all the answers, but you can know how to ask the questions until you find the answers you need to figure out the solution to the problem. And I think that's really important because I think if I didn't believe in myself that I could ask the right questions to figure this out and that I knew that it could eventually be okay and have that. And really it's an intrinsic belief that I knew this was crazy and this was going on, but I was also able to reframe the situation. You know, my actual thought process when this happened was like, this really sucks. <laughs> I don't like <laughs> doing this, but we knew there were problems with the office that we were having. I was starting to be concerned about the safety of some of if, if there was like, let's say that I didn't know if there were mold in the walls or could have been with the moisture there. Right. Totally. So if there's something that's in this office, maybe this natural disaster, this is my thought process was put here to kick me out of this office and go find a space that I could grow into. And so I remember whenever I found this six office suite, because we had a three office suite at the previous office, you know, and it was, it was not pretty on the inside, but I could see past of what it could be on the inside. So you also have the vision about what could be. Yes. And I remember I walked through the space and I said, you know what, if y'all renovate this space, this could be a great space. And to be honest, it is a beautiful space on the inside. One of the things our clients um, now we'll talk about the outside renovation in a minute, but <laughs> when clients say when they come and they're like, it feels so comfortable, comfortable here, welcoming. It looks like a house, but it's not a house. Um, it's so I think I was able to see what could be the benefit in this disaster. Like what could be the, almost the blessing, I guess mm -hmm. you want to say in this disaster. And that mindset then helped me shift from like, man, this really sucks to man, this could be really exciting. Mm -hmm. And so when I did find that six place, six person, you know, six office space. And I remember when I walked through it after it had been renovated, I'm like, yes, this is so much better than our last space. Yes. It cost me more, but that's okay. We're going to grow into it. And so now fast forward a year later, we're actually growing out of that space and we're looking at getting, there's a space above us. So then we'll have the whole building, which will be 10 offices in total. So nice. I just trusted myself that I'd figure out how to grow it, how to put the people in there, 
And I didn't figure it out all right away. And it's an up and down, round and round. If anybody owns a practice, you know this. It's not a linear path to growth. It's like really messy. But it's it's the belief in yourself that you'll figure it out and you'll make it happen. But I think it starts with that clear vision of where you're where you're going. Yeah. So you mentioned that exterior um, <laughs> part of the building. Would you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So when we moved in there in February, well, actually it was March of 2021. Um, Cause the, the ice storm happened in 20 February of 2021, 2020. Yes. 20 right now, 2021. Yep. And so when we moved in, there was some pieces that were missing on the exterior because it was vinyl siding to this building. And they told us, of course, and I looked past that again. I kept on saying, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be beautiful. And they said, well, we just want to let y'all know, you noticed the missing vinyl siding on part of the building. We plan to do a complete exterior renovation of this building. So we want to let you know that you're going to be moving in here and we're going to do this renovation at some point. Now, when I moved here, there were a few things I did not anticipate. The lack of communication about when said renovation was going to be done. Um, The timeline proposal for when, when said renovation was going to be done, like when is it going to be completed in and how it was going to actually disrupt the business. And to be honest, I was just like, oh, we got a space. I mean, you know, when you're in survival mode and you find this space, you're not worried about like how that other stuff is going to get done. You're just going to be like, oh, it'll be done real quick because they they did the interior renovation in 30 days. In 30 days, they completely rehauled the inside of it, like put up even a new wall somewhere and put in complete new flooring. So I'm like, okay, they did that in 30 days. The exterior renovation, they'll be done with that in a jiffy whenever they start doing it. But fast forward, they started in about May of 2021, and the outside is still not completed. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> and we've had, like, banging in sessions to where we've been having sessions. That. That was about, the noise. Is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, last week, they were jackhammering concrete outside. So, I mean, you can imagine some of the disruption. And the disruption's been in stages. It's not ongoing all the time, and there's been periods because I mean they pretty much have done a complete they've removed all of the vinyl siding they put a party plank they're now in the, they completely redid the roof they put in new windows talk about putting windows in when you're having to navigate and switch offices right like you can't be in a session and then oh there goes a window out the uh, <laughs> and they do all the renovations during the work week so it wasn't like they came on the weekend when our business wasn't going into these renovations, it's during the work week. So that has been a really interesting experience. And I will share what I've learned through that. I have a question on that. So obviously the removing windows are doing stuff that's structural on the outside. Um, One of the things that comes up when I'm reviewing leases sometimes for clients um, in in commercial spaces like this is the question of landlord access and having a landlord or workman or, you know, people coming through an office when you're running a therapy practice, because obviously there's, you know, people within the office either waiting or in session at that time where you're trying to protect their confidentiality was, is that something that came up for you guys in having the landlord have the access to the space? And did you have to navigate that um, kind of issue um, as you're trying to do therapy and run a therapy practice with people doing work um, on an, on the outside and possibly coming in, in inside of the, of the building, of the, of the office space? Great question, Dan. Let me paint a picture of how this <laughs> happened in some ways. 
So imagine being in a therapy session and all of a sudden a construction worker running through the office being like, hello, hello, hello. Exactly. <laughs> so again, I didn't know any of this, right? And in hindsight, knowing what I know now, I would have advocated for myself a lot differently, for the business differently. And I started to figure this out by probably December of 2020, by the time it just kept on going on. My patience was rearing really thin. I was like, okay, we even reviewed our lease agreement that would have allowed us, honestly, if there was another space that we would have moved to, if we wanted to move to, we could have broken the lease because of the stipulations in our lease that said they have like 90 days to fix things. And this had been like a long time that they were doing things. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't want to move. I was, we just went through this huge major move, you know, we're in a very great location. Like it's a beautiful, it's very easily accessed very high visibility location. Um, It wasn't far from our other office. So I even went so far to look at other places to like purchase to say, is this an option? Like this is driving me, you know, it's just disrupting our business. And when you have clients come in and say, are they banging again? You know, or wow, this is the longest renovation we've ever observed. (laughs) (laughs) People outside really working because they look like they're looking at things, you know, that's when you have to say, okay, it's my time to advocate for my practice. So yes, we did have disruptions, maybe not all the time, but of the, some of the situations we had one day I was sitting in my office, luckily it was a Friday and I wasn't seeing anybody where, because they were putting side on the outside, somehow they punched a hole into the sheetrock of the interior. Okay. <laughs> I just got to paint the picture of this. Okay. Or how about when they're doing the roof and then there's, there's nails on your walkway, right. Oh, that are not getting picked up and clients are supposed to be walking through this walkway. Right. So I'll, I'll tell a few things. Number one, making sure your clients know that there is ongoing construction and that it may be disruptive to them is important to have that conversation because then they can choose, like they may choose to like, no, I don't want to be a th- therapy at this practice because there's this ongoing stuff. So our clients were still super flexible during this whole time. And we were really appreciative of them because they, they have hung with us. Um, but that's something to consider and consider how are you going to communicate with your landlord? Because what I found out was, is that the owner knew what all the renovation plans were. The property manager, so the people that he has that works for the property manager company didn't. And so I would get frustrated because I'd call them and be like, what's the timeline? When are we going to happen? Um, when can you expect? And it took me eight months to figure out I was communicating with the wrong person right? That the person that actually had the ability to change things or give me a timeline or negotiate with me through this process was not the person of my point of contact that I normally call for like, if the air conditioner is not working or something like that. Um, So I think through this process, I learned what are your rights as a a leasee, which I did not know. What are the things that you can request and negotiate if you want to stay in that space and it's disruptive to your business? And then what are the things that you you are going to have to advocate for? Because the property owner is not worried about like, I mean, maybe he's slightly, but not really. He's just worried about doing the renovation because for his business, that's going to elevate the property. And for the next, you know, 50 to 100 years, this property is going to be updated that will eventually bring him or her more revenue. They're not considering what is the real cost or disruption it is for this person. And they don't know what a therapy process you know, a therapy practice right. needs. If we were like, I don't know, a real estate company or, you know, some insurance advisor, 
it wouldn't have been as big of disruption. But when you're trying to have therapy with people who might have experienced trauma, may have high anxiety, and I'm not an anxious person, but when my anxiety is getting bad in a therapy session because there's banging outside, then you have to be able to consider what do you need to do to advocate for yourself and your practice during those times. I'm sure that if you're trying to treat, especially like minor clients or children, you know, the banging and stuff like that was probably really disruptive for the children being able to focus on things. Yeah. Um, the one thing I picked up on that you said um, was you talking about advocating and, and, and things like that. And I think what you're really describing is you're playing the role of the CEO. And that's a lot of times I'll talk to practitioners about that, that when you own a business practice, if it's more than just you, you know, of any sort, you know, whether it's two people, five people, 10 people, 50 people, you are essentially the CEO of a business now. And so the interest of the business and your job as a CEO is to, you know, protect the business, to make sure the business is functional and can, and can operate. And that, job that advocacy job either you're going to delegate it or you have to handle it but as a ceo of your business you have to be the one to know it's being done and if there is something that's affecting your business it is on uh, incumbent on you to to make sure that that's being handled yeah and what i learned is i didn't realize how many rights i did have to be able to advocate for because i kind of am a very flexible personality which again probably has helped me ride the wave of all of these <laughs> crazy sure. things that have happened. Right. But I realized at one point, whenever I'm like, wait, this is taking way longer. We've been super flexible. We've been super understanding, you know, that I still have a right to say like, this is disrupting my business and this is what I need. Mm-hmm. And I didn't do that for probably the first eight months. It took me eight months to where when that hole went in the wall, I was in the um, <laughs> office on a Friday or, you know, whenever I remember one day I came and I noticed some nails that were out in the walkway. I mean, it didn't take me very long to pick up that phone and be like, you know, I didn't have good emotional regulation. I'm like, look, this is a problem. This is a risk for our clients. Something needs to happen right now. But what I realized is I think I was worried about like being able to advocate for stuff. And most of the time, if that, if that property owner or if that property management company wants you to stay in their space, because the truth is honestly, they wouldn't have probably been able to lease it to anybody else with all that banging and construction going on that then you have the ability to advocate. And so I, and I then so that I learned another thing is phone calls do not work. You need to put something in writing, whether it be email letter, something that documents this process. See me nodding, right? (laughs) So I, so I learned again, but it took me eight months. I did not do this good, Dan and Melissa. Okay. Took me eight months to figure this out. And then I started documenting. I'm saying on such and such date, You stated this, these are the disruptions that's caused to our prop, you know, our business. And I went and listed everything that had happened from, you know, blocking the, the blocking the um, walkway, music being loud. They would play music outside while they were, you know, oh whatever God. in the morning, to, you know, stuff being thrown, things in the parking lot, like how we're, how there was one time our whole front parking was blocked off by the contractor's truck. And his, um, and his equipment. And so, you know, you put all of that stuff in writing that you've been calling about. And then you say, we need to do something to remedy this. This is what I'm asking for. Or let's have a timeline. When can you give me a timeline? And then if that person says, well, here's the timeline and they don't follow through on it. Number one, that's your documentation if you need to get out of a lease. But it's also then your ability that what happened for me was then to negotiate. Well, okay, since we're here and our, our business is being disrupted, what are you willing to do for us to be able to stay here? 
because because the truth is we actually want to stay there okay through even all this because it is getting beautiful i'm not gonna lie this space is going to be beautiful i'll send y'all a picture but um we wanted to grow into the space above us so we have a three-year lease we've already went through one of it there's two more years we're wanting to stay with you and even pay you more money to get the space above us and so i realized i have a right to ask for what i want and what i need especially since this has caused disruption Luckily, I don't think it scared off any of our clients, which we are very thankful for, but it could have in an event that would have been a loss of business. So I've learned about just how to put that stuff in writing and don't be afraid to ask. And and that's really, it's impressive that you did that. It's impressive that you um, tackled this all, you know, and and were able to advocate because I know from personal experience as an attorney working with practice, sometimes it's hard. It's hard, especially if you're not accustomed or not you know, you don't know how to do it to actually start doing it. Um, and what I would say to those people listening, you know, who are like, oh my gosh, I could never do that. You know, that's where, and Melissa and I have talked about, talked about this before, you know, about having your team. That's where if there's something, an element of your practice that you need help on that you cannot do yourself, then if you don't think you can advocate or you don't think you can do what needs to be done, then you need to bring in someone outside, whether it's an attorney, you know, for example, a lot of what you're describing an attorney can do, you know, but I think it's awesome. I think it's impressive. I always think it's impressive when a practitioner can take some of this on advocacy work and do it themselves. But for those people listening who are like, I can't do that, then you need to get, I think the point here then is that you need to find someone to do it for you, whether it's an attorney or someone else, because what you're saying is all good points and all correct is that, these are all issues and you have every right to like, to, to, yeah. you know, and you should be documenting and you should, you know, there isn't nego- an area for negotiating here. So I, I think that's a really interesting um, kind of set of points you, you mentioned. That. Yeah. And again, I have to give credit back to one of the details that it mentioned was my real estate agent again, <laughs> mm-hmm. whether it be a real estate a lawyer, because she yeah. actually helped me look over my first, the, w- with the previous location that we had when I complained about some of the damage, and she helped me actually craft the first letter. And then honestly, after she helped me do that, it increased my confidence. And I like yeah. added some extra things in there. And then it was easier for me to do it again and again. Because then I realized, oh, wait, nobody's like, they're actually maybe listening to what I have to say. And they're maybe actually giving me what I think is fair. And I wasn't trying to be unfair. I was just like, this is what I feel sure. is reasonable for the fact that we've had to do all this. Um, deal with all this stuff. And so I think you're right. I mean, whether it be an attorney, whether it be somebody who knows property management, whether it be somebody who knows that, because I didn't know how to do it and helping them and getting them to help you maybe initially is really going to help you be able to do it again. And then if it's not you, then find somebody in your practice that is like the bull in the uh, cabinet that does not care. They do not care about offending anybody. They're like, we will go and be professional about it, but we will advocate for this and get them to do it. Because some, I'm kind of conflict avoidant. My personality is not the one that's like, yes, let's go create this big disruption. And the first time I wrote that letter, I was super, it was really an email. I was super nervous. I reread it. I read it again. I read it to somebody and had them listen to it. Like, you know, I just, I like overly analyzed this letter. But the benefit was, is that it did ultimately help me become more confident. It's a skill you have to learn to be able to negotiate other things down the, down the path. And I'll just, yeah, I, I just want to add one final point. And that is, I think you just hit the nail on the head and just on the practices that I've worked with and seen the ones that are really effective, the ones that are really, you know, 
you know, doing it well is they do have someone in that role, as you said. And some of them um, I know of is the owner is the one who's like, no, that's not my field. I'm not like that. But they have someone, whether it's a clinical director or someone else who is, and that person is the bull, as you say. And they are very much like, doom, boom, 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 get it done. And I think it's so important to have that, whether it's the owner or someone else in the practice who can be that person. But sometimes it's not to be mean, but it is advocacy is not about being mean. It is about standing up for your rights and is about you know making sure your interests are being protected and you have a right to do that. Absolutely. Well, and Christy, I love all of the information that you're sharing with us today. And I think it's so valuable. I don't know of anybody else who has as much experience as you when it comes to natural disasters. Um, and, and hopefully, hopefully that's not a thing that goes around. Hopefully nobody else gets this experience either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it's still really good to have on people's radar, right? I think sometimes we're like, yeah, what's the chance of that happening? Well, you know, you're like uh, three times. Um so I think it's really valuable to hear about your experience. And I can't even imagine all the things that have gone through your mind in that process by the third time. I can't even imagine what you were thinking in that moment. Um, but we really do appreciate all of the information that you've been sharing um, about natural disasters. And even with leases, certainly there are so many people who can relate to having a lease and navigating that Um and we want to be mindful of your time, too, while you're here with us. But we know that there might be people who want to get in touch with you. Hopefully, they're not going through a natural disaster navigating that. Um, but since <laughs> they may by now have the sense that you're really great at helping people navigate challenges, helping people pivot, how can people find you and how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you can actually find out more about me. I do have a Christy Penison at ChristyPenison.com. It has some information about just some of the things that I do to help practice owners navigate uncertainty and unexpected challenges. And then you can also feel free to find me on social at Christy Penison or give me an email at Christy at beinspiredcc.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. Um, and um, we're going to wrap up now. Um, we thank you guys for listening, for, for tuning in. Um, we hope that you found this as enlightening as it is for me. I've, Really enjoyed being able to talk to, to you today. Um, as a reminder, just as I said on every podcast, I feel like episode now, um, we are trying to want, do want to have you, the listener, um, possibly come on and tell us about your stories and your experiences. So if that's something that you um, have a story or you think that's something that there's other uh, people can learn from, um, we want to hear from you. So please go to our website, go on our Facebook page. Um, we do have um, a brief um, kind of um, application you can just fill out, just put some information for us and we'll be in touch. Um, other than that, um, again, thanks so much for joining us and uh, we'll see you next time on the, on the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Protecting Your Practice podcast. Be sure to visit protectingyourpractice.com to connect with us, continue the conversation, and access additional information. As a reminder, the information on this podcast does not constitute legal advice. Listeners should contact their own attorney or paid consultant for all decisions regarding their own practice.